We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 75th episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast, your only 365-day-a-year Packers podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV, and joining me today, also a writer for Cheesehead TV and a connoisseur of Five Guys Burgers and Fries, not a sponsor, but they should be. Guys, sponsor us. Uh, Sir Zachary A. (laughs) Jacobson, I think I'm supposed to say, if I'm following suit with everyone else, uh, say hi to the people, Zach. Hello, people. (laughs) This This is our first time teaming up together, Andy. It is. It is. I'm super excited. Thanks so much for joining me kind of uh, last minute tonight. I certainly appreciate it. I wish we had a better topic to discuss. Uh, However, we're mostly going to be covering Green Bay's 31 to 23 loss to Detroit today. So Zach, let me start off by asking you what the heck went wrong? Well, I think you kind of uh, pointed it out perfectly right before we started recording. Uh, You're not going to win very many games if you're missing four field goals and an extra point. If you can't get your kicker into a rhythm, then you're more than likely going to lose that game. And the Packers saw that firsthand today. So that was definitely the, the kind of the, the big kicker behind their loss. But, I mean, starting slow like they've been doing almost week in and week out, that doesn't help either. The big kicker behind their loss. You've been working with Matub way too much. That's way too of a spot on pun to begin the podcast. So well done. I'd be lying if I said he didn't rub off on me a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I thought I was good, like like a pun connoisseur at first, you know, but then I met Matub and now here we are. 
<laughs> he's a master and you have now learned from him and it's, it's created a monster, I think, but it's perfect. Uh, no, that was very well done. Zach, what if I told you uh, going into this game that Rogers would throw for 442 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, Green Bay would outrun Detroit uh, from a rushing standpoint. They would never punt the ball. They would notch three sacks, get 30 first downs to Detroit's 18, run 19 more plays than their offense, hold Detroit to 3.4 yards per carry, easily win time of possession, and lose by eight points. That, that's a lot. <laughs> if, you name, if you told me all those things like before the game started, I would think that it would have won by at least 30. Right. So the fact the fact that they lost this game is just it's just mind boggling, and it's just a testament to, like, you know, another thing, like they never punted, you know, they they drove down the field, they had no problems moving the ball, but every single drive either ended with, uh, with with kneeling, a missed field goal, a fumble, a touchdown, or a made field goal, or you know, any kind of turnover. So it's like, how this is what Aaron Rodgers appointed to uh, earlier in the week. Because they had 423 yards against the Buffalo Bills last week, and they won 22 to zero, which you know you would think that they would at least eclipse 30 points, you know. So for them to have as you know as much production as they did offensively in this game against the Lions, and to only put up 23 points, it's just the same problem plaguing them as last week. Yeah, and it seems somehow, some way, they find a new way uh, to kind of come up with a different way of struggling. And, and sometimes it's drops, sometimes it's turnovers. Today it was the kicking game and special teams as a whole. Special teams, uh, you know, they had penalties. They had, whether it was a, a muffed punt or not, who the heck knows? It certainly didn't look like it, but, you know, maybe it hit them before. I, I don't know. I, don't, I give up on trying to figure out what's going on from an officiating standpoint. Uh, that's frustrating yeah. as well, but... The special teams as a whole, even without that play, was a nightmare today. And uh, I think that found a, another way for Green Bay to struggle in this game and find a way to be inconsistent and, and just not put a full you know, 60 minutes of football together. And Ron Zook's unit hasn't been bad this season. No. Um, yeah, by, by, by any stretch of the imagination. But today, they were just like the entire group was just completely off its game. And I think you could say that for really almost all three phases of, of of the team. I mean, the, the defense played well for a majority of the game aside really from when they needed to late in the game and keep the lines out of the end zone, keep giving the Packers a chance on offense. You know, it's, it was just a mess. I don't know what happened at Ford field, but it definitely, it wasn't the same kind of Packers football that we were accustomed to. Yeah. And I've, I've said this a couple of times now, but green Bay seems to struggle with complimentary football, meaning something is always going wrong, whether it's the defense like against Buffalo is playing phenomenal and the offense can't just get it together enough to run the football and run out some clock, uh, whether it's the special teams today, it just seems that something always seems to be a little bit out of whack and just a, a degree off of where it needs to be. And because of that, even games like against Buffalo end up being a little bit more difficult than they probably should, or at least not as impressive as they should be. Although that, I guess that game looks a little bit more impressive now that Buffalo won against uh, again today against Tennessee. But, uh, you know, some of those things are just frustrating as they add up kind of through the course of the season. It's 2015 all over again. Like the defense yeah. is playing well throughout the season. They're, they're playing consistently. Demarius Randall's putting together his probably best season in the league as a rookie. Uh, Quentin Rollins was even playing well that year. But, you know, the offense just couldn't get it together. And there's kind of like a similarity here because they didn't have Jordy Nelson that season either. They lost him in the preseason. They don't have him this year. And I think someone pointed it out to me on Twitter, actually. Like, Aaron Rodgers, he obviously lacks trust in 
this trio of rookie wide receivers that the Packers drafted back in April. So does not having Jordy kind of take away that little security blanket and make him a little more iffy on some of his throws? And, you know, could that be a reason why he's hanging onto the ball so long and he's kind of shaky in the pocket? I mean, we saw this early in 2016 before the whole run the table streak. Rodgers was just kind of shaky in the pocket. He was very, what's the word? Uh, he was just jumpy. You know, he was he was very hesitant to pull the trigger on certain throws. And that, that kind of led to very, I wouldn't say average, but, you know, right in that realm of quarterback play from someone who, you know, we're not used to seeing that from. I think that's what really what we're seeing right now. Despite 442 passing yards and a trio of touchdowns, like, that's great. But the reality is he didn't look like Aaron Rodgers. No, not until late where he started putting up some some big numbers in the second half. But in the first half, no, absolutely not. And there's been a few games, you know, the beginning of the Chicago game. Certainly last week he missed some throws. And the week before that he did as well. So there's definitely been some uncharacteristic Aaron Rodgers plays. And to kind of, you know, piggyback off of what you were saying, not just Jordy Nelson, but these last two weeks not having Randall Cobb, I think played a huge factor as well in not having that security blanket, especially when plays break down and he gets out of the pocket. You know, Randall Cobb's kind of been that guy for a while now. Jordy's the guy that he trusted, you know, kind of on the Marquez Valdez-Scantling play last week where he almost threw a pick six, where that was a play that him and Jordy just kind of completed in their sleep. Those quick third down throws, those quick sideline throws, that was Jordy's niche. Randall's niche is when the play breaks down and he starts scrambling throughout the pocket. That's where Randall's so good at, you know, finding space and and creating separation from the corner. Uh, To not have both of those, you know, obviously still got Devontae Adams. Uh, Jimmy Graham, you know, at times played a little bit more of a role today, but I I think you're 100% correct. Not having that trust and just knowing exactly where those receivers were. There was the one play in the red zone, and I think this was before one of the missed field goals on third down. He was scrambling around, and none of the the young receivers on the field were even remotely uncovering on the play. He had a good, you know, 10 seconds to throw, and just nobody, including, I think, Adams and Graham and some of the others on the play, but nobody was uncovering. And I just think whether that's lack of trust, lack of snaps, lack of effort, whatever it is, it wasn't happening. It's certainly not early in the game. Yeah, I think I, I know exactly what player you're talking about. He he came out of his drop back and he had Adams, I think it was Adams, he was coming out of his break towards the like middle back of the end zone. And that's a play that Rodgers would normally hit, you know, like nine times out of ten. You know, whether he completes the pass or not, he would at least attempt it. But he didn't. He bounced around in the pocket and like you said, he kind of rolled out and he was forced to throw the ball away. He he couldn't find anybody open and these receivers just couldn't get open down the field. And I also think you said it perfectly with Randall Cobb and how he not just finds the soft spots in zones, but when Rogers breaks contain and he rolls out and he's looking for that open guy, Cobb and Nelson, those are two of the best receivers that Rogers has had at coming back to the quarterback and being able to break free of the coverage and finding that open spot, like you said, and, and Rogers didn't have that. So, you know, that that's just, that's just killer. You're playing, with Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, Equinemius St. Brown, Devontae Adams, and really that was the, tr- the trio of wide receivers, uh, Sands Jimmy Graham, who kind of just led the charge for, for the majority of the game. Valdez-Scantling and St. Brown, I think they combined for 157 receiving yards of Rodgers, 442. So that is that is very impressive from, from a couple of rookies, you know, especially in their first extensive look at uh, playing time. I know Valdez-Scantling had that 38-yarder last week, but... You know, it was definitely a promising step forward for the both of them and a huge confidence booster at the end of the game, too, for St. Brown, that catch and run where he just kind of split the seam and took off down the left sideline. It was really impressive. 
No, I totally agree. There are at least some flashes there. I um, just kind of wanted to go through kind of the, not the play-by-play, but kind of the drive-by-drive on what happened in this game really quick. So, of course, Green Bay is able – they deferred again and uh, put their defense on the field first. They, they've, one of the things they've been winning consistently is the toss. Uh, so at least they have that going for them. So they chose to defer again. Uh, their defense did hold, but, of course, you have the, you know, quote-unquote muffed punt to start the game, whether it was or wasn't. Uh, and then immediately Green Bay goes down 7 nothing on that. Green Bay gets the ball back, kind of drive down the field a little bit. You have Crosby's first missed field goal, 41-yard attempt was missed. The next drive, Detroit gets the ball. You have the huge play to Kenny Galladay over Josh Jackson, uh, which eventually led to another Detroit touchdown. So it was 14-0 Detroit. The next uh, drive, Green Bay has the ball, three plays and out on a sack fumble on Rodgers, leads to a field goal by Detroit, and it's very quickly 17-0. Green Bay gets the ball back, drives the field again, Guess what? Another 42-yard missed field goal. Defense actually holds the offense to a punt. Green Bay gets the ball back. Guess what? Drives the field, misses a 38-yard field goal, holds to another punt. Sack fumble leads to a Detroit touchdown eventually and a 24-0 lead at half for Detroit. Uh, They didn't have one kneel down before the half ended, but basically 24-0 Detroit at halftime. Green Bay starts the ball uh, with the ball in the second half, 11 play, 75-yard touchdown drive with a two-point conversion, makes it 24-8. And then finally Detroit misses a field goal on their next drive, so that was uh, at least nice to see that it wasn't Green Bay missing all the field goals. Uh, That followed with an 11 play, 55-yard touchdown drive, ending in a one-yard touchdown to Lance Kendricks. The two-point conversion unfortunately failed, which left it at 24-14. to Uh, Detroit then put another long touchdown drive together, making it 31-14. to That was the one that really stung because Green Bay had momentum. Packers still came back, eight-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. And, of course, Crosby misses the extra point on that one, leaving it at 31-20. and However, uh, Detroit then goes three and out. Green Bay gets the ball back, drives down the field. This one was a little bit of a questionable decision on McCarthy's end where they have Crosby attempt a 56-yard field goal after missing all the kicks he had already. Of course, this was another miss. And then uh, Detroit was held uh, to a punt with basically a minute and change left. Uh, With two seconds left, Green Bay got to attempt a field goal, kind of to just get Crosby some confidence. And really technically there, that's the best strategy because you can't score a touchdown and then kick the field goal. So you're supposed to kick the field goal with two seconds left recover an onside kick, you'd still have one second to throw a Hail Mary and tie the game. So as much as a lot of people are making it a big deal that it was able to get Crosby some confidence, I I honestly think they're just playing strategy there. And that's the only way that they could have actually tied the game, even as ridiculous as it sounds that it could have even been a possibility. And then of course, after the field goal, Detroit recovers the onside kick and kneels the ball and we get our final score of 23-31. Crosby's final day was a missed extra point, and then the 41, 42, 38, and 56-yard misses before having the the make as, uh, you know, basically two seconds left at the end of the game to, to you know, just kind of pad on a little bit more points there. But any other thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah, I'm actually, like, if you're Mike McCarthy, and I know our like anybody listening to this is going to eat this up because I'm I'm actually I'm slandering Mike McCarthy for a change. If you're Mike McCarthy and it's fourth and fifteen, there's about three and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're down by eleven. Okay, I don't understand why you don't go for it on fourth down when you were so you were so adamant on going for it on fourth down earlier in that half, earlier in the second half. But in that situation, you're down by eleven. It's pretty much make or break at that point. Why don't you go for it on that fourth and fifteen? Just just do it 
Because the chances are that Crosby makes that 56-yard field goal, it's slim to none. I get you want to like kind of restore the guy's confidence, which everyone thought that he did at the end of the game with that last field goal attempt. But like you said, they were more than likely playing strategy just to score and be able to get the onside kick, get an opportunity for that. But I just don't understand why you wouldn't go for the first down. It's make or break at that point. You're gonna, you're more than likely going to lose the game. Give your offense a chance. You That whole second half, the Packers were just completely tearing it up on offense. They were moving down the field with no problem and finding open guys. So why not just take a shot there? Why go for it on fourth down all those other times before that drive and not do it there? Yeah, if if it's the exact same scenario, same score, but you know Mason Crosby's four for four at that point and looked good in pregame, I don't mind the strategy as a whole to get the three points potentially, and then uh, try to right. hold and then go down and get the touchdown. But when he hasn't even shown that he can make an extra point at that point, you know, at that point in the game, yeah, exactly. I. I hundred percent agree with you. That seemed like a, you know, to say it's a questionable decision is probably way too polite at this point. It was a, it was a horrible decision. And I, you know, I, I just don't think it's defensible in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And I, and I totally get it. McCarthy's going to justify it some, you know, one way or another. I don't think anybody asked about it in the postgame presser, but he's going to justify it one way or another. And he's going to, you know, talk about all the analytics behind it and all the, the kind of concepts behind the decision-making and what goes into making that decision at that very moment in the game. But I just don't understand it. You know, like that. I'm at a loss for words, Andy. Yeah, you you know, they, they got to that point where they were kind of back in it or at least had a puncher's chance by being aggressive. And then that seemed to be the antithesis of being aggressive at that point. So totally agree with you. You know, not to, to pile on more negativity here, but one of the other issues now is that they've been outscored in the first quarter this season, 13 to 42 uh, which really puts them behind the eight ball when it comes to, to kicking off games in the right way. As I mentioned, they've been winning the coin toss a lot and choosing to defer. Maybe they have to reconsider that a little bit. But what's kind of your take on that? Is this a coaching thing? Is this just a philosophy thing? How are they getting so you know deep in the hole in the first quarter and, and making it so that they've got to have these comeback games to try to you know pull something off at the end? I think Aaron Rodgers kind of alluded to it several times saying that the offense is a work in progress, which... I realize that. Everyone realizes that. It is a work in progress. And I think over the course of the game, the Packers adjust to what they're seeing against the defense they're facing. And the more inexperience they have on the field, the longer it could take to adjust to the looks that the defense uh, uh, is giving them. Now, I don't think that's exactly the problem. I just think maybe the pa- – are the Packers play- playing with a script when they come out? Like, like is, there, is their first drive scripted? You know, if it's not scripted, I, I'm fairly certain it's at least well-versed and well-practiced, and I think they have an idea of what's going on. I'm not sure of, you know, and, and scripting never really made a whole ton of sense to me anyway, because, you know, yeah, they've got, you know, a, a script or an idea in place, but let's say, you know, your second play was supposed to be a run, and you're at, you know, your first two plays were holding, your you know, first play was a holding penalty, and then you had a false start. You know, now you're at first and 25. Are you still going to run the next play? You know, so, I, you know, scripting never made a ton of sense, but I think they have you know some idea of what they wanted to do and either way whatever the case may be if they weren't scripting maybe they should start and if they were scripting they they need a much better script because it has not been going according to plan in any way shape or form took the words right out of my mouth if it's if you're doing it and it's not working change it if you're not doing it and nothing's working then maybe you should start you know it's it's like it's not rocket science here you know it and 
regardless, there needs to be some kind of change here because when you're outscored by your opponents through the first five weeks of the season, 42 to 13 in the first quarter, something's wrong. Yep. And I don't know if if that's a testament to the offense and being uh, playing with, with an experience. I don't know if that's a testament to Rodgers' knee and you know him being limited because I know Mike McCarthy, he uh, I'm not sure if you read it or if anybody else read it. Well, I know a lot of people did, but it was the um, the piece from Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. It was uh, yep. published over the weekend. Yeah, of everything McCarthy was saying. Uh, the Packers are kind of holding back in what, they, what they're trying to do on offense because of Aaron Rodgers' knee and the personnel and all that. So was that an issue today? Because he was taking off the injury report on Friday, but he was still showing up today with a brace. Or Sunday, sorry. But, yeah, he was playing with the brace still despite being taken off the injury report. And he took a pretty good shot to the knee, apparently, on that, that stiff arm early in the game. So it could be something that lingers even further throughout the season. So does that mean these offensive struggles are going to linger throughout the season? Like, you know, it, things are kind of gloomy right now with that with that whole unit. Yeah, this is totally you know a topic for another day. But it it seems odd to me that he would be taken completely off the injury report, which he was obviously. But you know, there's no way he's 100 percent healthy. My understanding is, if you're not 100 percent healthy, you should be listed on the injury report. It's one thing to know 100 percent unequivocally that he's going to play and make him probable or whatever, but to just mm-hmm. say he's not injured at all anymore and not on the injury report seems odd at best. But like I said, a story for another day. Um, and yeah, whatever it is, the, the woes in the first quarter, whether it's they need to receive script plays better, have, you know, come out of the gate with more aggression. I don't, whatever it is, they have to get that fixed. But uh, I'm sure we could go on and on and on about some of those uh, negatives more and more. Let's transition. Zach, what was your biggest positive from this game? Well, my biggest positive is the fact that it's only October. It's only week five. So there's still a lot of time for the Packers to write this shit. And a close second would be how well the, the receivers played outside of Devontae Adams and outside of uh, Jimmy Graham, who now I'm going to count him as a receiver, a giant 6-7 slot receiver. <laughs> I mean, 45 of Aldous Scantling's yards came in the second half, and 72 of St. Brown's 89 yards came in the second half. So they, they kind of settled in a little bit. Rodgers started trusting them more. And I think that's going to be like kind of like a monumental step going forward in earning Rodgers' trust. You know, um. We saw last week Rodgers tried hitting that play that he and Jordy hit in his sleep, the, the comeback round on the curl, which is purely based on timing. He tried hitting that last week with uh, Valdez-Scantling, and it was almost a pick six. Like, you know, every, I'm sure every Packer fan's heart dropped watching that play. But, you know, to go from last week to what they showed this week and, you know, the promise moving forward and just how they can improve upon that, and we don't know how long Geronimo Allison is going to be out because McCarthy said today, as of Saturday, sorry, he said Sunday, as of Saturday, that Allison was still in the concussion protocol. So we don't know how long he's going to remain there. And Randall Cobb is going to be good to go today, but he still had the hamstring injury. He has to get over that. And hamstring injuries are really tricky. So we don't know how long we're going to need to see these rookie receivers. So what they showed today and the opportunities they got, that was huge moving forward. Yeah, I had the same thing. You know, Economia St. Brown, three catches, 89 yards, and you saw some of the explosiveness. He also, if I remember correctly, was the one who drew the penalty, having a really nice route earlier in the game that they yep. called the pass interference, where if he didn't get pass interfered with, he was probably going to take that to the house. 
So that was a really nice route. I thought that was promising. And then MBS, seven catches, 68 yards and a touchdown. I put a slight asterisk next to it because I think there were still a lot of plays, as we talked about earlier, where they, they had trouble uncovering. They weren't on the same page as Rodgers. Uh, you know, some of the scramble drill stuff, some of the red zone stuff, you could just tell some of it wasn't on the same page. Uh, but I thought there were signs. And I thought in a game like this and so early in their career uh, that those two specifically showed some big flashes. And I thought that was a little bit promising. So and then, and then the other thing, and we'll get into this, uh, you know, right after this is a good segue. Of course, Aaron Jones, seven carries, 40 yards. I know it's nothing too sexy. He had another two catches as well. But just when he gets the ball in his hands, he has the opportunity to make that play. Yet another game averaging over five yards per carry and ran hard. Uh, so just another positive takeaway. And, um, you know, that probably transition uh, transitions us to the topic of Aaron Jones. I know that's been a a topic ad nauseum for the past couple weeks now. Should he get more carries? Why isn't he getting the ball more? I've been on, you know, record multiple times saying he has to at minimum touch the ball 15 times a game. I don't care how you do that. You have to find a way. Today, uh, from a snap standpoint, Jamal Williams played 33 snaps. Ty Montgomery played 29 snaps. Aaron Jones played 22. So the least of the three running backs. He did have the most carries. So Jones had seven. Williams had six. Montgomery had four. So he had seven of the 17 carries, still not a ton. And then he had, uh, you know, the two catches, as I mentioned earlier. He did seem to be involved in the first drive. He was in on the second play and got a run on the second play. Williams did get the start, but Jones was in on the second play and got a carry. He had three carries on the first drive, only had three yards. So three carries, three yards. And really by the time after that first drive, by the time Green Bay got the ball back, it was 14 to nothing. Montgomery was in on that drive. He had one carry for three yards. Rodgers then fumbled the ball. It was 17 to nothing as soon as Green Bay got the ball back again. And then by that point, it was pass, 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 pass pretty much all day long. And, uh, you know, it, it just never seemed that they could really get, you know, Jones going. He ended the day with seven carries for 40 yards, two catches for 19 yards. But again, seemingly ran hard, ran strong and, and did everything that was in his power to try to go out and win this game when he had the opportunity to. Yeah, I think it. I think it's kind of telling how the Packers view Jones that he was last amongst the three running backs in snaps played, but he led them in carries. Like they, they want him on the field specifically to run, and I think that's also a big reason why Williams and Montgomery led the show because the Packers were really just passing the ball for a majority of of that whole second half, dating since like late in the second quarter, going into into the second half. Rodgers, at one point, he threw the ball 20 consecutive times. Or if he didn't throw it, you know, it was a pass play. Uh, a couple times he was sacked, I believe. But, you know, the Packers called 20 consecutive pass plays. And you need you need Williams in there, your best pass-blocking uh, running back. And you need Montgomery in there as well, who is your other best pass-protecting running back. That's not to say Jones isn't capable of doing that. But, you know, when you got your quarterback playing with a bum knee, still wearing a knee brace, you're down, you're down by 24 coming out of the half. You got a goose egg on the scoreboard to show for it, you kind of you kind of need to roll with the certain personnel that you need in that situation. Now, I can play, I'm like I'm banging the drum for Aaron Jones too. Like I I want to see him on the field, but not not if it means, you know, risking an extra pass protector out there. You know, someone who can do that job to the fullest of their ability. Jones did show a few, a few flashes of that though. He's gotten a lot better compared to where he was in his rookie season with holding up in pass protection, but you need your 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 consistent guys out there, which is Williams and Montgomery. Yeah, no, I, I and I'm willing to give 
the staff a little bit more of a pass today because of one, the circumstances and because two, they did get him in on that first drive. Yes. Williams was the starter, but he, like I said, he carried three carries on that very first drive. So Mm -hmm. it seemed like they were wanting to get him involved earlier and then things just went to crap. And uh, you know, they wanted to pass the ball a lot. And like you said, you know, Williams and and, uh, Montgomery are the the two better pass protectors. And I agree with you as well. I don't think Jones is, you know, egregiously bad at it. Just the other two are better. And Jamal Williams is in my opinion, elite at pass protecting. He's that good uh, as a pass protector. But I I still think if you go, you know, I think it was almost like two quarters without Aaron Jones in the game in some capacity. And I don't, maybe you have to use two running backs at that point and do something different. And if you want to leave Jamal Williams in, and even if you're throwing, you know, Jones a screen or get him on kick return, whatever the case may be, I still feel like he has to touch the ball more and they failed at that again today. And maybe the the failure is on the special teams in the defense today. Maybe they had in the game plan to, uh, you know, to, to hand it off to him 25 times. We don't know because it immediately uh, didn't matter what the game plan was anymore. Uh, But ultimately whoever's at fault, we've got to find a way uh, green Bay has got to find a way to get him in the game more and get him more involved. Very much agreed. I, I, you know, there, there's no, no doubt that Aaron Jones is the best Packers running back right now on their roster. He's the most explosive. He runs like, like his hair's on fire. You need to get that guy the ball. And we said similar things about Ty Montgomery a couple of years ago when, you know, he transitioned to running back and he showed how multifaceted he was, you know, just getting the ball in his hands. He did good things. He still does good things when he gets the ball in his hands, you know, as a running back and as a receiver. So, you know, it's a really impressive running uh, uh, running back stable that the Packers have right now. Yeah, totally agree. It's a, it's a good thing to have. People have asked me, uh, by the way, too, about you know when I do my grades every week of like, well, what do the Packers see with with Williams when you know everyone is so blatantly obviously in the fact that Aaron Jones is this good? And I and I've kind of defined it this way: when I go and I grade, you know, uh, Jamal Williams, you know, tape every week and review every play that he does. He rarely, and I mean rarely, has a negative grade on anything he does. So he is a plus pass protector. He catches the ball out of the backfield well. And then, you know, from a a running standpoint, he generally has good vision, hits the right hole, runs with power, doesn't go down on first contact. So he doesn't have almost ever a negative grade. And if you're looking at it from a coaching standpoint, you know, it's just, it's pluses all across the board on how he performs and what they ask him to do. Now, from a scouting standpoint, when you're looking at traits, when you're looking at explosiveness and pure athletic ability and what a, a running back can bring to a football field, I mean, the difference between an Aaron Jones and any other running back on the roster is just monumental. And that's where, you know, Jones can make things happen, where his vision's good, his acceleration's good, his playmaking's good. He has a variety of different moves, whereas Jamal Williams, it's usually just, you know, he's reading the hole and then he's running with power. So, you know, as, as a, as a scout's point of view, Aaron Jones, to me, every day of the week, give me him, give him the ability to get in space and find ways for him to make plays. But when you're looking at it from a coaching standpoint, and what I think McCarthy and the staff looks at Jamal Williams, very rarely has an off play. He doesn't put the ball on the ground. You you just wish that he was a little bit more of a playmaker. I like that. Two opposite lenses. Kind of look at it from a coaching perspective and a scouting perspective. I like that. Absolutely. All right. So uh, really quickly, the Tony Brown penalty, I know that was of some discussion as well. 
he, he came in. I thought he made a really nice play on the ball. Probably should have had a pick. If there's anything that you maybe want to downgrade him on there, it's maybe not getting his head around and taking that uh, pass potentially even to the house, but at least uh, intercepting the ball. But really nice play on it. He has the quick reaction where he's super pumped. He's kind of already standing over the player, so he just kind of looks down. To me, I just these guys are emotional. It's something that happens in the moment. He's a rookie. He just made a big play. He just got called up a week ago. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's in a position to make a great play. He makes it, and then he's emotional. And of all the things that are going on in the NFL, it's fine after a touchdown to celebrate and go on and on and on. I understand that by the letter of the law, this is a penalty. I have seen a lot more go unpunished, and it just felt in this scenario – just let them play and let it go. Maybe as a referee, talk to him a little bit later and say, Hey, you know, if that, if that happens again, I'm going to call it, you know, maybe give him a warning. He's a rookie, but it just seemed like a, it was probably not the best play by Tony Brown. Fine. If you want to say that's fine, but I just didn't, you know, I, I would rather that not be a call. This is a fast, emotional, aggressive game that these guys are playing. And like you said, this is just, some, this is some rookie who was just called up to the roster a little over a week ago. This undrafted rookie who was playing in a live-action NFL game, and he's stoked that he made this play. Like, he is hyped, obviously. And, and, and yeah, all he did was stand over the guy and peer down at him. He was he, The momentum pushed him forward, and he looked down at the guy. He turned his helmet down and looked down at him, and he got flagged for it. They, they called it taunting. And even if it was taunting, so what? Let them taunt. Let these guys freaking taunt. Let them talk. Let them jab with each other. It's football. You take you take every other like pleasantry out of the game. Like you, you can't touch quarterbacks, which I understand. You want to keep these guys safe. Shouldn't those rules apply to other players though? Yeah. Right. Like like carry on Johnson. Blake Martinez landed on carry on Johnson. I think one of the first plays of the game uh, on Sunday, and all of his body weight pushed down on him. Shouldn't that be flagged? Or is it just for quarterbacks? Like, sh- you know, shouldn't some of these rules like apply to everybody instead of just keeping it confined to one specific entity? But I, I just, I-, I don't know. There's, there's no reason to make that call. You know, at that point in the game, you know, it's, it's almost like these referees are picking on the Packers. And I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy that says, "Oh, the referees are out to get us." But I mean, <laughs> how else do you, how do you judge that? That's what exactly what it seems like in the last few weeks. Yeah. I just don't think I just don't think that should, should be called in any game in any capacity. Let these guys talk some smack. Like these defensive linemen and offensive linemen, like do these referees realize how much smack they talk in the trenches like before the play? <laughs> like some of like the horrible things they say to each other. It just seems to me like you know, who are you trying to protect? Like th- these are professional NFL football players. Do you think they can't handle a little ribbing and a little, you know, talking back and forth? Like, is it your product? Is it not good for the product that the guy was pumped that he made an incompletion and looked down at the guy? It just seems so ridiculous. Like what, what are we doing? What's the point? What are we trying to to fix here? What's the problem? Is this, is this something where, you know, fans are going to get upset because they're like, you know, oh, Tony Brown, you know, talk down to that Lions player, and now I can't stomach watching football anymore. Like, it just <laughs> makes no sense to me. Like, it, like, what are we trying to fix here? Like, if that if that goes on, does anybody care? Does the receiver like even go back and, and like you know and care about and talk to you know? Oh, did you see Tony Brown pick on me out there? Of course not. You know what are we trying to correct? It's so stupid. <laughs> he said my mama was fat. 
<laughs> I hope that's what it was too. I hope he got I hope he got a 15 yard penalty on a yo mama joke. Uh, that'd be the only thing that'd be more fitting. All right, we had a ton of fan questions that came in that I feel really bad we're not going to get to because we're already way over on time. Uh, of course, you know we had the when does McCarthy get fired? Uh, you know we're not going to touch too much on that, but I want to I want to just ask you what's your overall temperature on the Mike McCarthy hot seat right now? It's pretty warm, Andy. It feels pretty warm. It's not room temperature. It's it's hovering close to 80 degrees, if not already pushing 80 degrees. I think my, well, what I felt after today's game, and I still feel the same way, I think he's gone either way after this season, regardless of if they make the playoffs, miss the playoffs. Pretty much every possible outcome except win the Super Bowl, I think he's gone. Wow, that's, that is a little bit of a hot take. I, I don't hey, know. I, hey, I, I've, I, I've defended McCarthy for so long, so long. And I, I was the same way with Capers because I, I like to give these coaches a little, a little slack because I know how hard that job is. And I realize that I'm in no position to like judge whether or not this, this professional coach has been doing his job for decades, gets to keep his job or not, you know, but you know, I, at some point you got to speculate a little bit. Yeah, no. And I've said from the beginning of the season, if they have a, you know, healthy Rogers where he plays and they don't make the playoffs, I said, it's his last year. I've, I said that prior to the season beginning, I could see a situation where maybe they make the play, you know, squeak into the playoffs and lose their first game where it'd be the same thing. I think if they get a playoff game, a playoff win, I think he probably gets another pass. Whether he should or not is probably up for a, a, an even better debate. But uh, I don't know. I agree with you wholeheartedly, though, that the, the seat is getting warmer and warmer and warmer. And like you, I have been a staunch McCarthy supporter for some time now. I will fully say that. I believe McCarthy is a fantastic coach. I think he's a very good offensive mind in general. I think some of the offensive stuff that he likes to do has passed him by a little bit, and he hasn't realized that. But I think uh, if he were to be let go or if he leaves Green Bay or whatever the case may be, I think he could go to another team immediately and be very, very successful. I think his tenure here is stale and it's past its effectiveness. And I know the big talk last year was, I think it was Bill Walsh said that around 10 years, you don't have the same effectiveness anymore. I may have the exact length on that a little bit off. Maybe it was eight years, but somewhere around there. And I just think McCarthy's gotten to that point where I still think he's a very good coach, but I think with this team, they need something new. I think Aaron Rodgers needs something new to stimulate him, whatever that may be, whether that's a new coach or not. I just think a, a change is in order and they could totally turn this around and they could totally go uh, again on an eight or nine game winning streak. Who knows? I don't see that happening, but maybe it'll happen. But e- even if that's the case, it just seems to me like there's, you know, that a change needs to be made somewhere and, and likely that comes at potentially McCarthy's expense. I agree. He's a very, uh, very good offensive minded head coach. Like the Packers have had no problems scheming guys open this season. You know, it's just the whole execution aspect of it, but I keep hearing the the whole stale connotation, you know, and relating it to McCarthy. And it's just, you know, it seems understandable because, you know, he's been there for so long. He's been there for going on 13 seasons. It's been 13 seasons. So, you know, like how long could one guy be in the same building and sustain the same level of success with that same message or with a new message? You know, we don't know what he's preaching in the locker room or what he's telling the players at practice or, you know, yada, yada, but, you know, how long could that possibly go on? Especially when you have arguably the best quarterback ever as far as throwing the football goes, and you have one title to show for it. Now, I'm not the guy that, you know, 
bangs bangs the freaking desk for for you know oh my god you're wasting Rogers prime blah 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 but you know I'm I'm not naive either yeah you know, there's there's no reason to believe that this team shouldn't have 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 experienced more success with Rogers at quarterback and they you know it to that degree they've somewhat underachieved no totally agree I the only thing I think we have to be a little bit careful of is sometimes be careful of what you wish for because you never know it could be Jeff Fisher or Hugh Jackson or somebody just awful that walks through that door and you never know exactly what you're going to get into so like you know people are people can call from a card they said all they want but you know you don't have a, a direct replacement in mind you know I'm I'm hearing Lincoln Riley's name floated around the the Oklahoma's uh, head coach, but you know how how sure is that going to be? You know the the Packers don't have any plan in place right now to get rid of McCarthy, as far as we all know, and there aren't really any solid viable replacements on the market right now to to replace him. No, I totally agree. So a lot of lot of season left. We'll see how things go, and and then we'll kind of go from there at that point on the McCarthy talk. But agree with you that the seat is is definitely heating up week by week. Really quickly, some injuries today. Uh, Nick Perry suffered an ankle injury. He was deemed questionable to return. I do not believe he ever returned. Kentrell Bryce uh, limped to the sideline. Was replaced by Josh Jones, I believe, in the second half. I'm not sure if he returned or not. Did you ever see him get back in the game at all, Zach? Uh, I don't think he got back in the game. The only, yeah. well, actually, he might have. The only team announcements that I remember were Nick Perry and uh, Kevin King with the chin okay. for King, uh, a chin for King, and the ankle for Perry. I don't remember seeing any other team announcements that that Bryce stayed out of the game. Yeah, I know he. I know he left, and I know he's replaced by Josh Jones. I just don't know if he yeah. ever returned or uh, if there was anything, you know, further on that. Or it, it was after a, you know a couple of poor plays too. So Jones could have just got in in general, but something else to keep an eye on. And as you mentioned, Kevin King left with a chin injury. He also did not return to the game. So uh, Perry, Bryce, and King will be uh, a couple of players that you want to you know kind of keep an eye on this week. And then also, you know, oh by the way. Aaron Rodgers also, as you kind of touched base on earlier, may have re-injured his knee a little bit. He played fine. In fact, he played way better in the second half after it happened. So probably nothing too concerning. But, you know, anytime he kind of re-injures that leg a little bit, it's something to be concerned about. So why does this guy play better when he's hurt? Like, it's a freaking weirdo. <laughs> I think I think honestly, his competitive juices just kick into like the nth degree where he just hates losing so much. And he just goes into like beast mode to try to prevent it. I just wish it sometimes happened a little bit earlier. So it didn't have to get to that point because there were definitely some missed throws well before then that could have gone a long way and maybe preventing it from getting to that point. But another story for another day, Green Bay moves on to the 49ers next Monday night. Uh, the 49ers fell to one in four today after losing to Arizona, 18 to 28. CJ Beathard, not his greatest performance. They, some reason asked him to throw the ball 54 times, had 349 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, also two fumbles. So was responsible for four of their five turnovers really becomes a huge game for Green Bay. After the 49ers game, they have their bye week. Then they play at the Rams and at the Patriots before getting Miami at home, then at Seattle and at Minnesota. So that's going to be a really tough stretch. So San Francisco really feels like a must win. Yeah, it's really their last chance to kind of breathe a sigh of relief going into the bye week. And I mean, if they can't beat a 49ers team led by like CJ Bethard, you know, then that's that's telling. And that's going to be really bad heading into a bye week. And for a team that's going to go into Los Angeles to play the undefeated Rams. And then New England right after that. So the Packers are entering their toughest stretch of the year. And like I said, this is this is going to be like a little confidence boost for them in front of the home crowd. Monday night football. It's like a little, I wouldn't say it's a rivalry game, but you know, if the year is 1995, then sure. 
they actually just lost the 49ers, uh, Matt Breda, their running back, who was actually looking really good. And today he was averaging uh, seven yards a carry before he got hurt. They lost him to an ankle injury. So he'll more than likely miss that game. But definitely, hopefully, he gets better. Not in time for that game, obviously. But uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Let, but, me, let me ask you this. In, yeah. Is there a scenario in which the 49ers beat the Packers so badly that Mike McCarthy would lose his job on the bye week. Is there any scenario in which you think that could happen? If that like, let's say wasn't... the 49ers win like 63 to nothing. Oh, oh God. Then yeah, there's a, oh my God. It doesn't help that the bye week is right there because that gives them right. another week to make plans. So if the 49ers win 63 to nothing, then, woo, yeah, McCarthy's seat is going to be about 130 <laughs> degrees. That would be interesting if they if they lost badly enough. Let's say Rodgers was entirely healthy, played the whole game, and they lost badly enough to San Francisco. I wonder if there's a scenario in which he would potentially lose his job on the bye week. And again, we're not cheering for that in any stretch of the imagination. We're not cheering for anyone to lose their job. Uh, just more of a, a hypothetical there. If, if Green Bay would lose to San Francisco, how hot that seat would be on a bye week. But something that will hopefully never come to fruition as hopefully they'll take care of business easily in San Francisco. Zach, well, any final thoughts for today? Um, well, hopefully they don't lose six three to nothing against the 49ers. <laughs> now you got me paranoid. So uh, that's my final thought for you. Thanks. I'm going to go uh, go drown my sorrows in, in water. Yeah, that's if they if, if they lose sixty three to nothing uh, to a um, you know CJ Bathard led San Francisco team at home on Monday Night Football, uh, we've got a lot lot more problems than what we know right now. So. I think we're safe. I don't think that's going to be the case. I'm going to go on the record, in fact, and my bold hot take for today is that Green Bay will definitively not lose 63 to nothing to San Francisco. That is a steaming hot take, Andy. Uh, watch watch it be 63 nothing on the spot, and this will come back in the heart. <laughs> you know what? You, you spoke it into existence, so now there's a chance of it happening. So oh, thank you. Great. <laughs> Well, in that case, uh, the Brewers are also going to win the World Series, and uh, that will come to fruition as well. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, Zach. Greatly appreciate it. As always, thanks for listening. You can follow Zach on Twitter, at Zach A. Jacobson. You can follow me on Twitter, at Scotty Sports. You can follow the podcast, at Packaday Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. We certainly appreciate it. Make sure always to go and tell a friend. I know it's a little bit difficult today, and it's harder today than normal, but as always and forever, Go Pack Go. Later, everyone. Six seconds to go. Ball just outside the four. Roger shotgun looks to his right. Snap to A-Rod. Throws right side. Yes! Touchdown! And a dagger! The dagger to Andrew Paulus on the right side! Aaron pointing to the right now. Gets the snap. Looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Leaping right yes! to Fante Adams. Yes! Touchdown, Green Bay! A spectacular throw and catch to the left side of the end zone. Rodgers from the 42 New York. Fourth down and two. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield. Scrambles right. Now winds up. Rainbows into the end zone. It is caught. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.